Are you hurt? <laughs> You're bleeding. That's not his blood. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. There's something happening here, and what it is ain't exactly clear in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 75, which begins with Max giving Nux a new steering wheel. And it ends with a fade to black as Max drives the war rig through the night. Rounding out the week with us is Eric Nash from the Watchmen Minute and the Almost Famous Minute podcasts. Hey, Rick and Julia. Glad to be back one last time this week. I'm glad you stuck out the whole week with us, even though it was so spooky and dark. As I was saying last, at the end, near the end of the last minute, very ominous. <laughs> it's coming up here this minute, I think. When it comes to nights that are ominous and dark, you've got a lot of experience with those based on what I saw from the Watchmen movie. Yeah. I can only imagine what sort of situations are involved with the almost famous minute. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a... It, 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 ten, it, goes towards the brighter side of things so, so it's, it's a nice change of pace oh well that's nice i've never actually seen almost famous before i will admit that so any sort of characterization i might fling on it is completely unfounded <laughs> well and that was one thing for Watchmen, though that uh that uh, i think travis more so than i uh, he he pointed out at the uh, spoilers for Watchmen at the very end there, there it does get a little brighter but uh, yeah, I mean, throughout throughout that whole movie, it's 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 often nighttime, but then when it's not, if it's daytime, it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> but as for us, we start off today's minute, and I wouldn't necessarily call Max Wasteland Santa Claus, but he's certainly <laughs> acting like it as he drops off this bag and he starts off the minute by handing Nux a replacement steering wheel. And I love how Nux takes it and looks at it for a moment, as if confused as to why Max would give it to him instead of to Furiosa. Yeah, I'm a little confused by the same thing. I know that Nux has mm, sort of proven himself, but really, he just got here in a capacity of being on their side. I I don't think he should be trusted yet. (laughs) But handing him the steering wheel kind of defaults him as if not the driver, at least a driver, mm-hmm. when this is still Furiosa's rig. I mean, I like those ideas, but but could it be because, you know, uh, Max knows Furiosa has th- at least that one gun, right? So she should stay on top of things should anyone else maybe come along, you know, and be, be, the, be the person to at least start to any more retaliation, as we were using the word, word uh, a couple of days ago. Mm. That is a good point. Furiosa is a good shot. A very good shot. She has proven herself very, very capable with guns. And also very protective of the wives. Mm -hmm. I do find it odd that Max gives Nux the steering wheel because Max turns around immediately, opens up that bag on the ground, and tosses a boot to Nux to replace the one that Max himself took to replace the one that Slit pulled off of him. So it's just a round robin of boots. Max doesn't give back the original boot. He gives him a new one. So they're just trading them left and right here. But I feel like the steering wheel could represent Max's acknowledgement of Nux because Max has seen firsthand how good of a driver Nux is when he's in a pursuit vehicle. 
And Max also considers himself a pretty good driver. I know we've called him a great driver in the past. And so this might be a respect thing. Like, hey, I know you had me strapped to the front of a vehicle, but here's a steering wheel for me to acknowledge how good of a driver you are. And then here's a boot for me to acknowledge that you're part of the team now or something like that. Does that make sense or am I just blowing hot air? No, that's that's. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I like the mirroring of the last time that Nux acquired a steering wheel. He had to fight Slit for it. Slit tried to steal Nux's steering wheel and his car, and Nux wasn't going to let that happen. And now, this time, Nux and Max are in more of a partnership than Nux and Slit ever were. Slit was just waiting for his chance to eclipse Nux, while Max... It's like, okay, you know how to drive the rig. Excellent. Go drive the rig. And then I'll do something else. And Furiosa will do something else. And we might make it through this night. So Max is showing himself capable of being a team player while Slit did not. And maybe that's a little bit of the confusion on Nux's face that he didn't have to fight for it. Driving the rig in his mind has always been a prize, something he had to earn with great feats of heroism and glory. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, here, drive the rig, because he's needed. I think it's a different sensation for him. And I don't know about you, but when Max tossed him the boot, Nux looks back at Max, and the first thing I thought of was Master, Master has, has given, given Dobby, Dobby a sock. Master has presented Dobby with clothes. Dobby is free. Because <laughs> Nux has been indoctrinated into the cult of the V8. He has not been necessarily held by magic like a house elf in harry potter but he's been in service of this organization all his life and now max is freely giving him things without nux having to fight him for it it's a different experience than he's had julia like you said he hasn't had to earn it in the typical way that war boys have to earn things and so he's feeling a level of appreciation that i don't think he's ever experienced because he's not fighting actively. Yeah, he's valuable for other things besides dying on the Fury Road. Ooh, that's that's ominous there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to give anything away too much, but no. yeah. Mm. I would dare to say I think Nux is more pleased by the boot gift as opposed to the steering wheel gift. Yeah. I think the steering wheel is practical. And yes, it's very cool that Nux gets to drive the rig that he's always dreamed of driving. But he already did that. He didn't need the steering wheel to do that. But the boot feels like a little bit more of a gesture of friendship. Mm -hmm. You know, very aloof friendship, because this is Max we're talking about, but friendship nonetheless. Yeah. There was a thing that I heard once, and I wish I could remember where I heard it, but it was an explanation of, like, rules for gift giving, especially around the holiday times, mm -hmm. where when it comes to gifts, you give something you need, something you read, something you wear, and something for fun. I think that's the rule of fours and so the need is the steering wheel the wear is the boot i don't mm -hmm. think max ever gives something to read or something for fun so two out of four ain't bad in this situation <laughs> i would dare say that something for fun is also a steering wheel very true and something you read i'm not sure the war boys are literate so i no. don't think that matters <laughs> well i was i was just about to mention you know when you were getting into that uh those those four things just the fact that he's even giving him a second thing at all i think is pretty amazing in mm -hmm. this you know i mean 
man, he, you know, he's looking back at Max when Max is starting to lean down to get that boot out. But um, and and you know, I mean, he, he seems to look back and like, wow, this that's amazing. He just gave that to me. But and he's really, I, I think he's just then really confused when he gets that second gift, as we're calling them. <laughs> it's a little unfortunate yeah. that he didn't get something for everybody. Yeah, right. Yeah. Are you kidding? He got guns for everybody else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 okay, that's legit. I'll give you that. We we we're just missing out the, the those scenes specifically of of him of him giving them passing them around. Right. We right. don't get that Chronicles of Narnia scene. Yeah. Where Max is bestowing, "Here you go, toast. This is object A. Use it this way. Here, capable. This is object B. Blah 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 blah. You know that whole sort of thing." Okay, I do got to say that Chronicles of Narnia is exactly what I thought of. Because you're right. He doesn't like go around the group and give them the one thing that they super duper need, but that's what he does to Nux. He like just conjures up these items out of nowhere that are the perfect things for Nux. A steering wheel and a boot. Given all the objects in the whole entire world, he could not have picked two better objects to give Nux. Yeah. And it felt very Chronicles of Narnia Santa scene. The one thing that really just makes me feel good about this is the fact that Max had to go out of his way to steal a boot off of one of those bodies. He didn't have to get the boot like he had to get the steering wheel. He took the extra time to find a, an Imperator, or maybe this is a boot straight from the Bullet Farmer, but someone with a comparably sized foot... To pull that boot off. Because he didn't come back with six or eight pairs of boots. He didn't take everybody's boots and then say, okay, you just see which ones fit. Although, honestly, he probably should have done that because Toast and Cheeto still don't have shoes. Yeah, it might have been a good idea to just bring back all the shoes. Yeah. But... Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Eh. <laughs> I don't think that Max thinks about the wives that way. Mm. Which is kind of complete opposite of the thesis of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, Max has had the least amount of time to get to know the wives. He spent a lot of time literally attached to Nux, whereas the wives have pretty much kept their distance from Max as side characters. And so he's probably thinking of who's contributing what, and he just isn't giving the wives enough credit. Yeah. It's possible that at this point he still sees them as a burden, that this responsibility to keep people alive has been thrust upon him unwillingly. Yeah, he looks at the wives the same way he looks at the kids from the crack in the earth that ran away with Savannah. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, well, I know that they're in danger. I have the ability to do something about it, so I have to do something about it. And talking about the wives and, and his and Max's you know, compartmentalizing, you know, them into taking care of versus Nux. I mean, he's given him, him these two gifts, but, you know, he kind of, I, I have to imagine he also figures that Nux will fend for himself coming up, you know, I mean, should, should further, you know, stuff go down, you know, um, you know, that, that Nux is, is, is pretty capable on his own. I mean, even though, you know, he certainly Max gets the upper hand earlier on in the in the whole being chained together and getting apart and being in in the in, in the in charge seat, so to speak. But uh, I just have a feeling that that yeah, he he thinks of Nux even even more so as just being able to take care of himself as well, though if need be. Thinking back to the fight that Max had with Furiosa, Max and Furiosa were off doing their own thing, and Nux was 
one could argue single-handedly <laughs> fending off five wives at once. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. There yeah. was a such a huge skill gap, though, when you've got one warboy who's constantly fighting every other warboy in the Citadel all the time versus five wives who have arguably never had to fight mm. before. Mm. So they were definitely punching above their weight range, so to speak. But out of the corner of his eye, Max could definitely see, okay, this war boy does know at least how to handle himself when the odds are somewhat stacked against him. Mm -hmm. But with the gifts bestowed, Max can now turn to taking care of himself. He is, as we're able to see, bloodied. There's blood on his head. It's streaming down the side of his face, and he walks back towards the tanker. For all Max knows, this thing is full of water, but as he gets over to this bucket, he looks down into it, and he gets distracted by Toast who asks if he's hurt, and she remarks that he's bleeding. And Max doesn't answer her. It's actually Furiosa who offers that it's not his blood. And by that, we're meant to infer that it is the blood of the people from the Peacemaker. <laughs> Which, if you're just watching the movie and just enjoying it normal-like, it's really easy to bypass this moment and not really think too far into what she is saying and how she's saying it, what that might mean, and just move on. But we don't do that here. Nope. So on Wednesday, we kind of talked about this moment a little bit, and to carry that over here, she is indicating with her best guess, which is a very qualified guess, that he had to personally kill individuals. Probably a good number of them did not die in the crash. And it was violent enough to get their blood all over him. And perhaps there was some scuffling. Maybe they didn't go down without a fight. And he had to violently murder them. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something about Max that Furiosa realizes that he is capable of. But she seems a little hesitant to explain that all right. out to the wives. I think she's shielding them a little bit, and I think Toast gets it, but she's the knowing one, so I think she's a little quicker. On the draw. Yes, than the others. So maybe the others, especially not being personally in the conversation right here, might still be a little bit ignorant of the violence that Max is capable of. But Furiosa knows. I like how subtle it is that Furiosa doesn't have to outline blow by blow exactly how Max would get someone else's blood on him. It's just very surface level. That's not his blood. Because like the bad guy from Dodgeball, nobody makes Max bleed his own blood. Nobody. Except Nux. Well, okay, yes. There are several people in this movie that make Max bleed his own blood. But <laughs> that doesn't sound as concise. So with that interaction with Toast out of the way, Max turns his focus down to the bucket hanging off the side of the tanker and he notices there's something weird about this bucket and he turns to the rest of them and says what is this as if to say why is this water so cloudy and white which is the exact <laughs> question i asked on wednesday and, and why does this water smell bad yeah like is this water smell sour to you anybody else <laughs> and the dag so matter-of-factly says oh it's mother's milk i love how graceful she is about it you can tell the sort of upbringing that she has had that is a little bit more sophisticated, I think, than Max or the War Boys. That mother's milk is an everyday part of her life. Mm -hmm. And 
in this moment, I think she knows she's better than everybody else. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've ever heard the dag described in any way as sophisticated. I know, right? I know. That's because she didn't use some, you know, dirty Australian slang <laughs> for it. <laughs> and I love how Max barely considers this for a moment. He's like, well, any port in a storm. And he just starts splashing it over his face because milk residue... Sour at all, probably better than dried blood. I don't know. I mean, I don't have experience with either. The, the, uh, Nux was using, you know, normal water, water to actually put in within the cooling system for the engine. Um, but I mean, what, where, where is that kept here? I mean, why, why, why not find? Why, why doesn't he find that instead? Well, there might still be water left in the water portion of the tanker, yeah. but there's definitely not a lot left mm-hmm. okay. because we pointed out back when Max was initially fighting Furiosa and stole the war rig that the hose attached to the water portion got pulled Mm -hmm. off Mm -hmm. and left the valve just open. So there might still be a little bit of water in that tanker, but based on how those things are built, probably not. So any water that's being used in the radiator is probably specifically set aside as radiator water. Yeah, right. Maybe it's gray water sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Like it's been used for something else in the past. And they just hold on to it for utility's sake. Radiator water. Yeah. Also, I think whether or not there is surplus water hanging around, this is the bucket that is filled with liquid that is already there. Yep. Mm. No matter what was in that bucket, he was going to wash his face with it. Unless it was more blood. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I got blood on my face. Uh, (laughs) More blood now. Of course, now I'm thinking of Emo Phillips in the movie UHF. Why is my face red? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I forgot he was in that movie. Oh, that scene in particular where he cuts off his thumb on the circular table saw and it's just spraying everywhere and it's no big deal to him. It's so great. <laughs> Equally great is the fact that the steering wheel from the Peacemaker goes right onto the steering column in the war rig because they have an interchangeable steering wheel culture. And so you can just pop on and pop off steering wheels at your leisure. And it is not a complicated process. It's just boom right on there. And I love how simple it is. Back when we were in the Citadel and we saw the altar of steering wheels, I kind of assumed and hoped because i thought it was kind of cool that the steering wheel acted as the key to the car Mm -hmm. that it was a specific steering wheel that went to a specific car and you could only start the engine if you had the steering wheel on it that's obviously not the case one furioso doesn't have a steering wheel anymore and they've been driving just fine and two yeah this one pops on no problem i'm trying to decide whether or not i like the bullet-themed steering wheel better than the original steering wheel that they started with, like aesthetically speaking. Mm. I like the ingenuity of the bullet casings forming the outside, but the original steering wheel had a nice leather wrap on it with the steering knob, and the scroll-worked skull in the middle of that steering wheel was pretty cool looking. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to give it to the original one for that skull in the middle. Mm. Eric, which one do you prefer? Would you would you like to like kind of mix them just a little bit? Just just put some bullet casings on that other one. That might really finish it off really perfectly. Yeah, I'm looking at this one. It doesn't have anything cool in the middle. Yeah. It's got the skull motif that you find on other steering wheels. It's just constructed in a much different way. It's more of a rounded off metal yeah. sculpt with 
like crazy bolt and nut eyes yeah. coming out of the holes there. We'll get a really good look at it at the end of the movie when the uh, war rig crashes. Okay. Because it goes right up full frame in the center. But that's the crashes? Way, oh, man. way down the line. <laughs> Everything crashes in the end. <laughs> but with the steering wheel in place and everyone back together and the bullet farmer no longer a problem, we're able to get back on the road. And as we cross from second 35 into second 36, we find ourselves in the middle of a bog with these crazy dudes on stilts just walking around. Eric, when I put out the call for guests before we started production, this was one of the weeks that you specifically asked for. And I'm just wondering if there was a specific scene that you were looking forward to talking about. And is it this one? Well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it was more so because of the the what happened last minute, the the away from camera, you know, not displayed, <laughs> you know, not non-displayed non uh, uh, skills of Max against the bullet farmer there. But, um, you know, I, I also do like these stilt walkers. And I think that's how I, I think I, in my message to you, I think I said, you know, maybe kind of between the two, I, I probably pointed out that the, the, the bullet farmer kill and stilt walkers. And, um, you know, for the stilt walkers, it's, it's just it's just like kind of going into my almost like Muppet show, almost Big Birdie or something, you know, kind of uh, uh, the imagination, mm -hmm. you know, kind of run amok and, and doing these crazy things with these extra apparatus <laughs> off of limbs is, is just this really cool, neat thing um, in my mind, I think. Um, but then additionally, I, I do want to, the, the one big note I had for these guys walking around is that I almost just expect one of them, maybe like between the two, the, the, one, the one that's foreground, the one that's background, I think, I think it would be funnier if it was one further away, but for, for like him to walk and, and, and really to go into the mud swamp even more with one of his two front legs, maybe mm -hmm. in, in the, during the step and it's, and it's almost making it. It's almost like something um, Mel Brooks or Python-esque would do, <laughs> you know, just to have in this in this off in this yeah. two second scene away from the real action of, of in the plot of the movie that at least at least we, as, as far as we know at this point throughout the movie, this 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 doesn't mean much right now. Now, there is additional lore that was written about these guys, courtesy of Colin Gibson, the production designer for the movie but before we get into that you mentioned muppets yeah and do each of you remember the dark crystal oh yeah oh yeah okay there you go yes. yeah that's definitely that's what it, it reminded me of yeah. yeah dark crystal it's easy to look at these guys in the swamp and think of the land striders because that's exactly how the land striders were they were up on the four stilt things the arms and legs and you'd almost imagine to be looking at these Stilt dudes in this minute walking around and imagine a little gelfling sitting on top <laughs> saying, go faster, go faster. We got to get to the, you know, Skeksis hideout or something like that. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen the Dark Crystal, so I don't know the exact context of them needing to ride the uh, land striders around. But as I mentioned, there is legitimate lore for these things. They are called, according to the Mad Max wiki, crowfishers or sky fishermen or bog walkers or stilt walkers or any one of those but crowfishers as far as i know is the official name and we're gonna find out in a couple of weeks that this is the green place it's going to be devastating when we hear it 
but we're just going to get that out of the way now so that we can talk about these guys. So while their presence isn't explained here in the concept art and the backstory here, it's explained that these bog walkers are walking around catching birds out of the sky so that they can eat them, which is why they call them crowfishers. And in the original design works, they would use kites and nets to just fly the kites up in the air and then snag the birds and bring them down. And we don't get a really close-up view of their outfits, but in a behind-the-scenes photo, they have little bird skulls sewn into their hoods that they wear. And Colin Gibson explained that these crowfishers are actually a remnant of the group that the Vuvulini come from. So the Vuvulini, we're going to meet them in a couple of weeks. They are a matriarchal society, and the way it works with them in order to preserve their matriarchy, they take the male children and the adult males and whatnot, and those guys live on the outskirts of the Green Place. And when the Green Place went sour, the guys decided that they didn't want to leave. And so they just stayed in the bog doing their crow fishing thing and were left behind, which is why there are only a few of them here. And when I say a few, I mean, we can see four of them yeah, I in was, this shot. Yeah, realizing more. There's obviously the one in the foreground, there's the one in the middle background, and then the two further back by the road. I like the idea that they made their choice. They thought, might as well stay here and fight the sour land in whatever way we can, which they found a way, they're still alive, at least four of them, rather than go off into the desert follow these women who frankly have kept them on the outskirts of society so i'm not sure what their motivation is to actually go with them mm -hmm. yeah i was reading on reddit about these guys and a couple of people have pointed out that the society that joe has set up prioritizes men the society that the vuvulini have set up prioritizes women and that the society that furiosa and the wives are looking to set up is a lot more inclusive, not quite as exclusionary on either side. So a Morton Joe has his flaws in his system and the Vuvulini have their flaws in their system. And so this is an example in this scene of the inherent flaw of the Vuvulini system. When you take half of your society and send them off, they go live in the swamp and they walk around on stilts and they just get really dark and moody and wear all black covered in crow feathers and whatnot. You'd almost imagine these guys to be sitting in a cave or a dark room during the day and like listening to really sad music. <laughs> now, ain't that a broad brush to paint with? They're emo crowfishers. Yes. <laughs> um, so then I'm, I'm really curious. I, I noted with a question of what must, you know, Max and Furious and the wives and Nux there be thinking of this area as they're driving by? Are, you know, they, they aren't. This, this never crosses their mind that this could be the green place. Well, they do seem very curious. They're behaving as if they are seeing something on the horizon that's amazing or shocking that has yet to be revealed to us. But then the minute ends with it just fading to black. We're never shown what they see. So I think they are seeing the bog walkers. Yeah, I think they're reacting to the crowfishers and they're put off. They're disturbed by the unnatural shape of it all. Like, yes, they are people on stilts, but that's because we get a really good look at them. We're not driving by in a truck. It's not the middle of the night for us. And we're not seeing these weird guys 
off in the distance. If you're walking around your town at night and someone stilts up to you dressed like one of these bog fishers, you're going to get creeped out. Or at least there's a very good chance that you're going to get creeped out. I don't want to lump everybody else in the same in with the same phobias, but this is a very unnatural position for people to take. It's very alien looking. So, of course, Furiosa would raise her head and be like, I don't remember any of these people and the wives who have never seen anything like this. Not even Nux has seen something like this. They're all worried by the prospect of creatures or even people like this out existing in the wasteland. And Max, the expression that he gives at the end of this minute is like, what the heck am I looking at? I've seen some weird stuff in my day, but never quite these. Like, I think the last time we saw someone on stilts in a Mad Max movie, it was back in Thunderdome, and that guy was replacing light bulbs. <laughs> yes, he was. I like the difference between the dag and her expression, her reaction, and Nux. The dag is wide-eyed and curious. She's leaning forward actively, and I think she is disturbed, but she also seems surprised to find out that there are people out in the world who live this type of life. And I don't want to call it, well, no, I do want to call it, well, I don't need to be careful about offending a group of people because this group of people doesn't really exist. These people who live very close to the earth, <laughs> very, very close to the earth and in the mud, and they eat scraps and whatever they can catch. She doesn't have the experience to know that there are, that these people are out there. Nux does a little bit more. He knows about the wretched. He sees them. He sees the lengths that they go to to get water from Joe. And he sees their disease and their illnesses and their deformities. So he doesn't seem so shocked. He seems more sad that he is witnessing more of the wretched out in the world. Interesting way to look at it. But like you said, we don't get too much more interaction with the Skyfishers because we fade to black and that black screen lasts all the way to the end of this minute, wrapping up the week in a very succinct way. We don't often get yeah. transitions like this that end the week off so nicely. So we lucked out this time. I almost thought you somehow made that happen. It's like, what? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Nope. That is all original. The, w the way us minute people do, we just let the chips fall where they may. and mm -hmm. Sometimes we get lucky. Yeah. Here at the end of the week, is there anything anybody wants to throw in? Something you didn't get to mention earlier in the week, a previous minute, this minute, anything like that? I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've gotten my Mad Max fill. Great to be on again. And uh, Yeah, it was a pleasure having you on, Eric. Thank you. Could you yeah. do one last thing for me and let everybody know where they can hear more of your stuff? Yeah, so we, as I said before, we finish up Watchmen Minute, and you can just Google that. But then, uh, you know, this week... Hopefully, if everything goes to plan, you should be able to hear uh, right now. Um, almost this 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 week that we've been going doing uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the same schedule that uh, Rick and Julia have here. Uh, almost famous minute, and that's for the uh, Cameron Crowe two thousand uh, movie. That's it's a it's a pretty auto autobiographical, even though names have been changed <laughs> to protect the innocent. A whole band is created from uh, almost from thin air. There's there's actually there's actually four bands that. Um, I'm using as uh, a nice little way to uh, uh, have my guests uh, and co-hosts uh, rank, um, give a little ranking system a la Star Wars Minute with, with all the movies. But this is just uh, the band that makes up Stillwater is, is generally recognized to be 
um, Almond Brothers, a mixture of Almond Brothers, uh, the Eagles, uh, Led Zeppelin, and Leonard Skinner. Hmm. And so, uh, something I'm doing for for each everyone that we have on is uh, having them rank those four bands on, on their personal taste, their preference. Nice. What the, what what that uh, the music they like. And there's and there's some people that are you know certainly a little less familiar with some of those bands than others. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's fine. They they can be your fourth band. That's for sure. Your fourth list. Yeah. So definitely go check that out for fresh content coming your way. Mm-hmm. As for us, we will be coming back on Monday with our own fresh content when Max has a bit of a nightmare and Furiosa explains how she knows so much about the Green Place. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 75 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>